This is Will Baker, president of Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Welcome to our continuing podcast series. And oh, what a treat for me today, and I know for you as well. We have two student leaders out of actually about 75 who are visiting CBF's headquarters here at the Merrill Center in Annapolis for a big event coming up. So today I'm sitting with Hannah Heron from North Harford uh, High School in Harford County, Maryland, up in the northern part of Maryland towards the Pennsylvania border, and Tegan Duncan, who's from Stanton, Virginia, out in the western part of Virginia in the Shenandoah, great little town. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. So you are student leaders. You are students that have participated in CBF field trips before and have self-selected to come on this special one-week field trip in which students from Virginia, Maryland, and Pennsylvania are all have all spent a week out on the bay and in the watershed, some up in Pennsylvania, some in Virginia, some in Maryland. And all of you, all 75, are coming together here at the Merrill Center for a student leadership confab with a few adult leaders that you're going to teach and tell about the Bay and get any information you can out of them about how you all can be adult leaders someday. That's right. That's really cool. And we're doing all of this here tomorrow. Congressman John Sarbanes is going to be, uh, we're not having a lot of speeches, but he'll be the, the lead speaker. We're delighted to have Congressman Sarbanes here. So Hannah, let's start with you. How did you get involved in this expedition? So uh, I'm a member of the Maryland Association of Student Councils, um, and one of our conferences had a couple of friends that said, hey, you should come with us to our November retreat with the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Um, and I was like, okay, that sounds wonderful. Um, and I've been involved in environmental science at my school, uh, so coming out was great. We went to Smith Island, and we got to learn all about like, the watershed and everything possible, crabs, oysters, it was wonderful. Um, and then I heard that there was going to be another one um, in the summer, it was going to be a week long. And I said, that sounds absolutely perfect. Um, so this week has been, it's been life changing. Being able to see hands on the bay and how every little thing affects it um, has been a wonderful experience. Uh, and I'm going to take everything I've learned and bring it back with me to college. Um, after the Smith Island retreat back in November, uh, I started working with my school to be more like environmentally conscious. I uh, worked with my student council, we created like a green team. Uh, so we worked to try and promote environmental awareness in our county. Um, and I've been telling, I also have three younger sisters, so I've been telling them all about my experiences and hopefully they will be attending these retreats as well. That's a great story. And so the Smith Island three-day field trip was your first and that was last fall? Yes. Very good, very good. So take it. So Hannah, you're a, you've graduated and you're going on to Catholic University. Yes, I am. All right, we're going to come back to that, and you've also got an interesting job this summer. Yes. All right, Tegan, <laughs> you are a rising junior. Yes, yes, I am. And I understand you're a bit of a um, the, you're a bit theatrical. Yes, uh, it's something I've been passionate about since uh, my middle school years. Sixth grade is when I started. And the love for it has just kind of overflowed. So when did you first get involved in the Chesapeake Bay and the environment? And how did you happen to get on this field trip? 
Well, so I think I became, I became conscious about the environment when my sister started to become conscious about the environment. She's three years older than I am, and she did a huge field trip down in the Caribbean. Not here, but, mm -hmm. and that was all like environmentally friendly, and they learned about natural sea life. And then that's when I kind of took a step back and said, okay, well, what can I do here at home? Um, and then, so this year, it was my first year at Riverhead. So this is fast forwarding a couple years, obviously. And um, it was my first year at a public school, and one of my teachers, my debate coach, who I had gotten really close to during a year, she approached me and she said, Tegan, I think this would be a really good opportunity for you to get in and learn about, you know, natural life and how to save the bay and et cetera, because that's something that I expressed interest in. Um, Thanks to your big sister. Yes, well, yeah. <laughs> and um, so she said, well, here, let me get you in touch with the people who run it. And so next thing I knew, I was on a five-day adventure in the bay here, and it couldn't have went better. So for you, as opposed to Hannah, you, this was your first field trip with the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Yes, this was my first field trip with the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Full immersion, five days. That's. Were you a little nervous? No, I wasn't. I'm kind of one of those people. I don't want to just tip, dip my toe in the water. I just want to jump right in. That's that's kind of who I am as a person. So. So let me stick with you for a second. What what. What will the, what does this field trip? What were you, will your experiences on this field trip do? How will they change you when you go back home? So, like I said, I was already passionate about the environment, but I never actually understood how badly the things that um, the big agricultural land around my hometown affected the bay here. And um, since it was my only first year in Riverheads, I didn't get. Um, involved in one of the environmental clubs because I had other clubs, but I think I'm going to go back and actually talk because my school is a huge, like, um, uh, an agricultural place and we have a bunch of uh, programs in place that kind of help with that. So I know a lot of people who have farms like that and I think one of the first stops that we stopped at in Swope, uh, when we talked with Bobby and the princess of Swope, his wife. Who is um, a trustee of the Chesapeake Bay yes, Foundation. Yes, yes, they Jeannie are. Jeannie Hoffman, yes. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I think I'm going to go back and I'm going to hopefully try to organize some sort of club, maybe to try to talk to some of those um, agriculturally inclined uh, rising farmers that we have in our area to, so that they understand what they're doing can impact our watershed close by. You know, it's interesting. Um, we all eat, we all rely on agriculture, and agriculture is part of the problem. But so are all of us. And yes. one of the great things is we've seen how much farmers really are truly interested in clean water and want to do the right thing. And they're great cost share programs from government. So there's, um, there's, there's a lot of opportunity. And um, in, uh, in uh, where you are in near Swope and Stanton, you can make a real difference. And hopefully you'll take that back with you. I, I think I fully plan on taking it back with me, so yeah. So Hannah, tell us a little bit about what you're doing this summer. And also, like I asked Hagen, how did this trip change you and what will you think about differently? Um, so I'm actually working at Williams & Jensen, which is a lo lobbying firm in D.C. Um, so I've been working on a lot of hearings. Uh, I've worked on a couple of different projects for the Embassy Guild, uh, which is a organization that works on giving diplomats training uh, kind of about America. I've also been working on the opioid crisis and trying to use some education um, 
uh, information that I've learned throughout public school um, the public school system to try and bring positive change uh, so that's been an, a wonderful experience I've attended events about energy with uh, the EEI and AEI institutes uh, so that's been really interesting to hear these different perspectives um, and learn more about different forms of energy because it everyone uses it whether it's with you know the fans we use AC you know, cars, uh, it's an essential part of our daily life. Um, so going back, I think, from my last trip, I realized how wasteful we are in our everyday life. Even a simple thing is like flushing a toilet. Uh, it sounds kind of, you know, simple and silly, um, but we use so much water just to flush our toilet, which could easily be used for something else. Um, collecting rainwater, it's so important, and I love how at, here at the Philip Merrill Center we do all those things where we use composting toilets instead of running water. We use, you know, collect our rainwater and use it for hose water, stuff like that. Um, even solar panels, where you know you have solar panels on your house, and there's been studies done where you can use that energy to supply energy to your house and supply it back to the energy grid itself, um, and. It's something that people don't necessarily realize. They think that every time that they turn on the water, there's going to be a consistent flow. And that's not, you know, unfortunately, people need to, people don't realize that there's going to be a limit at some point. Uh, and the environment is so important, people just don't seem to realize that. So getting the word out and trying to inform people in a polite manner, <laughs> um, sometimes they don't want to hear about the environment, um, it's, I would, it's probably one of the best ways to fix that problem. Okay, so pretend I'm a skeptic, and I want you all to convince me that I'm wrong. Oh, this environmental stuff, you know, it's just a fad. We've been around on this planet for years and years. There's a tremendous amount of air and water. We can't really affect it. Why are you all so worried about it? <laughs> Do you, want, do you want me to go or do you want you to go? Okay. All right, take it, take it away, take it. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're going to try this. Um, so first off, don't be a skeptic, embrace everything. But um, secondly, the environment, while it does seem boundless, like it goes on forever, we also have to understand that when we read diaries from past historical figures, like people that first came into the Bay, we realize how descriptive they were in their journals and all how it was full of life and clearly we've had a severe deterioration within the bay just reading within those detailed descriptions of journals so that's just deterioration from when they first found us to now so imagine in 200 plus years if we don't do anything if we stopped dropped our pens right now everyone left the office just left their lunch boxes and nobody tried to help save the environment imagine how much more we would lose and that would be so impactful. And I don't know what the human race would do without a clean, healthy environment, because just like everything else, we wouldn't be able to thrive. We rely on clean air and clean water. Um, so a big thing going around from like the DC perspective is global warming. Yes. Um, and uh, if you look at the statistics, there, the Earth goes through cycles and changes. And you know, warming is natural, but within the last like 50 to 60 years, we have increased that process tenfold. Um, just by the way, the, our car emissions, burning coal, you know, trying to obtain fossil fuels, hydraulic fracturing, these are all things that are creating more carbon that's heating up the earth. Uh, and it's important to see everything from both perspectives. Uh, so, you know, people can have their own personal opinions. Um, and as long as they can realize that maybe someone else might have a different opinion than them. Uh, it's, it's important. And 
I think one interesting fact that I learned throughout this week is that when the people first came into the Chesapeake Bay, there were so many oysters that the oysters could filter the entire bay within two days. Now it takes almost a year to filter the bay. Uh, so it's just little, you know, it's hands-on facts that you look at the bay now and we have made tremendous improvement in the last 50 years, uh, but compared to 200, 300, 400 years ago, it's not the same. Um, so we need to keep moving forward and looking towards renewable energy resources because our our country, our global you know, organizations and people, they're not just going to start decreasing. It's going to continuously increase. Um, and not having something that's renewable, that's sustainable, is going to cause huge problems in the long run. Um, I always kind of reference, like, you can't eat money. So <laughs> when it really comes down to it, <laughs> um, if we don't have water, you can't drink your dollar bill. You know, you can't eat a nickel. I'm a... convinced. You won't convince me. Sign me up. Where can I go to work? Perfect. <laughs> oh, I'm here. Uh, it, 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 I'm, you know, my, my temptation is to say if there was one thing in the last five days for each of you, what would that be? But that's always hard. But to, a couple of things, one thing, whatever you'd like. What, what, what really impressed you? What's something that's going to stick with you? So something that is supposed to sound really simple. but and We're um, back to Hannah <laughs> from Maryland, yes, yes. Hartford County. Good. Um, it might seem kind of simple, but um, I loved going crabbing, uh, which was something <laughs> really, you know, being in D.C., Crabs are not very popular. Um, in Maryland, like, you drive What's the by, matter with those people in D.C.? I don't know, right? Um, but in Mega Maryland, you know, you drive by all these crab stands and stuff, and my, my family doesn't eat crabs, uh, which is very odd. They've been in Maryland for, like, 25 years. Uh, they came from, from New York, so crabs aren't a very popular thing. Uh, so we don't really eat crabs that often. But we went crabbing, and, you know, we took the bait and put it in the crab pots, which is different. I wasn't expecting it. Um, so for people who don't know, you kind of rip the fish in half and put it in the crab pot. Um, so, uh, and being able to catch our own food and being able to eat it is something that I personally believe is so important. You know where your food comes. You see the process, how it doesn't just magically show up on your plate at a restaurant. You see the steps behind it. And it's not just a matter of like paying for your food and ordering it. It's the whole going out, crabbing, getting your pots all set, bring them aboard the ship, which was actually pretty difficult. Um, and being able to eat them fresh was something that like, I'm not going to forget. And the same thing with oysters. Uh, the Shockleys from the Hooper Island Oyster Company gave yes. us a box of 40 oysters we were able to eat. Um, and they were grown right there. Uh, they showed us the steps and the processes of how they got the oysters from like an egg to an actual oyster ready to eat. Uh, so it was pretty interesting. Is that the first time you've eaten an oyster? Uh, I had oysters like a couple years ago, but this was the first time it was like fresh, right from the bay. You ate it like overlooking the water. It's just, it added to the whole <laughs> A magical of it. experience. It was magical, yes. <laughs> okay, Tegan. Uh, well, I would love to say that my favorite moment involved food because I love food. <laughs> um, it didn't. Uh, so I was super shocked when we went to the Abtex site. It was an old manufacturing plant um, that produced uh, parachutes for World War II um, and nylon and rayon. And the reason that this stuck with me 
is because normally when I walk into a situation where it's environment versus big business, I picture big business as the bad guy, the one in like the black, like, you know, doing this with his hands and he's <laughs> like, you know, scheming in his chair. And I think the environment is over here, like unprotected. Nobody can do anything about it because it's har it's it's harmless to us and it can't save itself. We have to help it. Um, but when I got to the Aptex site, I already had like a little grudge bubbling up within me. Like, why would you do this? You didn't know what you were doing. I get that, but like common sense people. But anyways, um, I got there and I started talking with uh, somebody from FMC, which was one of the companies that had originally done this at this Aptex plant. Um, and he was there representing the company, talking with us uh, about how his efforts along with the EPA and uh, so the county itself, uh, we were in Front Royal, I want to say. Um, it's a super fun site now. Mm. Um, so uh, how their efforts are actually helping to clean the water and the leaching from the old stuff that they used to bury in the ground. And um, so then I was like, okay, maybe it's not all black and white, like environment versus big business. Maybe big business can step in and say, okay, uh, several years ago, or more than several, I guess, but many years ago, we didn't know what we were doing to the environment. And now we're going to step back and take responsibility for what we did because we understand how important it is. And so that's when it kind of hit me like, okay, it's not just, it's not just black and white. Like I said before, there's a lot of gray area where everyone really needs to give a little and, and take a little just to get where we need to be with the environment because we need to be at peace and one and in harmony, I guess. Um, I'm just thinking circle of life in my head right there now, go, but um, <laughs> uh, just one with everything. We need to find a way where everything's equal um, playing field. And that really stuck with me because you had this guy who I had already pictured in my head was this big evil monster and a man up from Philadelphia where he said he was from, um, from the EPA. Uh, working together like they had seen each other so many times and I'm sure they had but they looked like just the closest of friends and I thought this is fantastic because they also have a water filtration plant on site which helps clean the water that had been into excuse me into like the rayon and nylon and stuff that they buried and um, everyone there was just like one big family knowing what they were doing just to save that little piece of their land that they once ruined and that really that's, stuck with me. That's a life lesson. It, it really is. And, yeah. that's... and, and you know, I, I think if there's anything that I've learned over the 40 years I've been at the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, it's that, you know, simple answers never or very rarely accurate. And yes. perceptions very rarely bear out. That there's always, I mean, you said it beautifully, there are many shades of gray. Uh, and I, that's, that's, that's really impressive. That's great. Now I'm going to pause for a second. Anything you would like me to ask you? Anything so you could tell about a specific part of one of the trips or a place or something like that? Um, Aptex was my big one, and I just got to cover that one. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, How about people you met? Yeah, you met a, yeah. Yeah. Uh, met the, so I'll, I'll oh, ask okay. the question. Um, mm -hmm. So in five days, you, um, you've been around a, a big part of the Bay system. You saw a lot of people, I bet, met a lot of people. Any Anybody stand out? For sure. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Hannah, go ahead. Um, so we actually, when we went to the Hooper's Island Oyster Company, uh, we went with the Shockleys. And uh, what was interesting is that, he, you know, his father was uh, a waterman. He, you know, would out, go out every morning, you know, collecting oysters and going crabbing, pick up crab pots. Um, and he told his son that he didn't want him to be a waterman. He 
didn't want him on the water, didn't want him doing any of that. He wanted him to go to college to get a degree and get out of the system, which it's so sad to see think that because you know, he his father his father realized that the bay didn't have a lot left in it, um, and then eventually you know his son came back and said, "I'm going to do an oyster farm," um, and everything that he learned in, he learned in college. He was able to put that forward into something that's a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, he was going through and showed us a handful of, it looks like dirt and sand. And was like, this handful is worth $50 million. And that hit me that this is more than just a money situation. This is more, this is actual valuable, tangible things that <laughs> affect the way that we live because it's you know, clean water. That's what it comes down to. Like the oysters clean the bay and allow for us to keep living our lives. Um, so he's making a huge impact on us humans as a whole. So that was really interesting. Um, we also got to go to the CBF uh, restoration site yesterday. So we worked with uh, you know scooping up oyster shells and putting them into bags to deliver to people who own docks and who want to farm oysters. And uh, Seeing that was interesting just because any person can make a change. It's not, you don't have to be part of an organization. You don't have to be a waterman. You can just be someone that owns a dock or is interested in anything with the water, and you can help make one more step to having a cleaner bay. So that was just fascinating to see. Uh, we also saw another a ho- uh, oyster hatchery site, and they had these ginormous... They were like just ginormous tubs and cylinders, like filled, I say like maybe 10 feet with water and uh, like just all these super tiny little oyster spats. Uh, And seeing that just shows that, you know, you can't physically see these tiny little oysters, but they're still doing their job. Uh, You know, that represents each person. So you might just be one tiny little oyster spat, but in the grander picture, you're helping create a better world and a better earth. Similar to one little person on the great big planet being able to help make things better. Exactly. Yeah. Megan? Okay, so people, two people stuck out to me the most during my trip. Uh, Two very different backgrounds, I want to say, but I guess I'll start with one and move the other. Uh, The first one, his name was Dylan. I didn't catch a last name uh, for introductions, but he worked for Angler Environmental. And they're an environmental consulting company where if like uh, a business wants to build on like wetlands or near wetlands for every acre that they take, they have to um, purchase a new acre somewhere else that can hold wetland area. And Dylan explained this to us along with his partner, Jared, that they had come to one of their sites for us. And um, the reason he stood out so much was, A, he had been on the CBF leadership trip before he got this job at Angler Environmental. Uh-huh. And so I said, oh my gosh, this could be me in a couple years if I really, this if this is like something I became super passionate about. And B, he was very down to earth. He was relaxed about everything. And then as soon as he started talking about the environment and what he was doing with his job and how he is a bioengineer, you could see like the passion bubbling out of him. And I don't know, maybe it was the sunlight that morning because it was early in the morning and it was just like crusting over the trees. And so it made it look all angelic, but that's a something I'm gonna, I'm gonna remember forever. Mm. And then the second person was Taylo Murphy. Um, so he is a huge name. I'm sure you know who I'm talking former about. Former delegate. Yes. Taylor Murphy, former Secretary of Natural Resources in Virginia, and a former trustee of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. 
Yes, so um, got to talk to him in the morning at uh, Westmoreland Park one day, and um, Taylor, he told us all about his conservation efforts and how he was in environmental law for a little while. And then um, Casey, one of my uh, leaders or counselors, uh, walked over to me and she was like, Tay, I have a question that I think you should ask him. And I said, okay, what is it? And she said, I think you should ask him what his role was in the Bay Act. So I asked him, and then he proceeded to tell me about how he was chief patron. And that blew my mind, <laughs> thinking that there was someone sitting here in front of me who made such an impact just with his words and his, his script that he helped write down on paper. And then after that, I forget how we got onto this tangent. Oh, I remember how. Um, I asked a question. I was like, what can I, as an individual, help to do beside help to save the bay, um, besides just being here and becoming educated about what I can do? And this is when he, he really looked at me and he got serious and there was a, a serious silence there for a minute and he was like, the best thing you can do is understand that you are never too young to make a difference and that you can always, always write to anyone. Go stand in front of a board somewhere. Go stand and make a difference in like your city hall if there's like a general like meeting. Just know that like you are never too young to make a difference. And like, I think a lot of people when they're young, they think I'm young, I can't, like, what can I do? I barely, I just got my license or I just got my first job. I have to worry about getting good grades in school or I have to worry about like taking out the trash when mom and dad tell me to. Um, but when he said those words to me, I was like, I can do something. And I just, I became very empowered in that moment. And like, I saw a flash forward 10 years, me like standing in front of an assembly, just like talking about what makes me passionate so I could try to make a difference. And that, that really stuck with me. And he particularly stuck with me. And he was 84 and still talking with us teenagers. That also blew my mind. So. <laughs> well, the other thing you can say is you're never too young, but you're also never, never too, too old, old to make yes. a difference as well. <laughs> Taylor's got a lot of energy and a lot of passion for the environment. Yeah, very true. You could tell when he spoke, he definitely held a lot of that in his heart. And, and Hannah, you wanted to jump in? Yes, uh, I actually did get a chance to meet with Delegate Anderton uh, from Lamaco County. Uh, so we talked to him about policies, uh, and he talked about how it's important for you know politicians and people in positions of lawmaking um, to look at both sides of situations. They had the uh, House Bill 924 uh, a couple weeks ago, and he said it was a very tough decision because he had to choose between uh, the watermen or the oysters, or, you know. Um, and for those who don't know, House Bill 924 focuses on oyster restoration and opening up these oyster restoration sites for uh, farming and for uh, the watermen to access. Um, so this is a huge thing for the Chesapeake Bay Foundation because we're working towards restoring them and opening these up would be, you know, could have a huge impact on, negative impact on the bay. Um, so he decided to abstain from voting. So in a way he kind of was able to find that happy medium and saw both sides of the situation, saw how this could impact the watermen not being able to get their oysters and impact the bay. And something like that is extremely important like when you're in politics, not just voting on party lines, but voting on what will make you know, your delegates and the people in your area the happiest and will help them out the most. And luckily it did not pass. Um, <laughs> so you know, those oyster restoration sites are still closed. Um, we can still focus on preserving the bay. But legislation like that that tries to come through, it's important to make sure that 
we press to our politicians and our lawmakers that this is not just an issue of voting on party lines. Um, this is something that affects everyone regardless. There was legislation pa um, presented in Maryland uh, back in January about fracking, and I, you know, I went to support anti-fracking, and um, it was just in it was inspiring to see all these people lined up that had the same passion as me about like the environment and making sure that we preserve what we have. Um, luckily, it did not pass, which is a huge relief. Um, so we can still have like clean drinking water and a clean environment to live in, but. I'm interested in going into politics um, and seeing. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it should be in, very interesting. <laughs> um, and seeing, being able to see both sides is just so important from whether it's a money-making aspect or environmental aspect. And talking to Delegate Anderson really helped me kind of decide. That was a very best. interesting piece of legislation to try and do away with some of the um, sanctuaries where oysters are allowed to grow and propagate and help spread um, to other parts of the bay for the benefit of the wild oyster fishery. So it, it, there, there was a lot of controversy around that, but we're a big advocate here at the foundation for sanctuaries to help rebuild the oyster population in the Chesapeake. And it's, it's really starting to work. You're seeing oysters where just 10, 15 years ago, you never saw them. So it's, it's exciting. Well, Hannah Heron, and that's a great name for an environmentalist. Yes. <laughs> and Tegan Duncan, uh, this has been truly inspirational for me. And as I sit here in our conference room, knowing that there's 73 more of you just outside getting ready to celebrate the end of your field trip and come together tomorrow for the Student Leadership Conference, uh, it, it just reinvigorates me and makes me so excited. I, I, I am grateful for you two for having participated, for the passion and energy you have. And I just um, am confident that you're never going to lose it. And if CBF helped contribute to that in any way, it makes me feel very, very good. So thank you both. Thank yes. you for having us. Thank you so much for having us and allowing us the opportunity to attend something like this. I've been to you know, camps throughout high school and middle school. and. Nothing has had this much of an impact on my life as these CBF trips have. Um, and so thank you so much for allowing us to come out. And from a, just a first-time CBF trip, this is definitely something I think I would love to do again. Only because I, I completely agree with Hannah is that it's, it really is an eye-opening experience. And if this is something you want to do, then definitely go for it. So a couple of years when you all are in the job market, Send us your resume. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll remember that. <laughs> all right. So all of our listeners should know that the student leaders, all 75 of them, have been writing, have been posting things. That's on. A lot of this is on our website with photographs. It's truly um, great to look at all that they accomplished. And remember, we're talking about throughout Maryland, Pennsylvania and Virginia, and they're all coming together to go. So go to CBF's website to see more, cbf.org. This is Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, thanking Hannah Heron and Tegan Duncan so much for participating in our podcast, Turning the Tide, Saving Chesapeake Bay. Rock on, girls. <laughs> <laughs>